Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so for this week, I'm joined by author Jen Windrow. Jen loves characters who have a pinch of spunk, a dash of attitude, and a large dollop of sex appeal. Top it all off with a huge heaping helping of snark, and you've got the ingredients for the kind of fast-paced stories she loves to read and write. Home is a suburb of It's So Hot My Shoes Have Melted to the Pavement Phoenix, where she lives with her husband, two daughters, and a slew of animals that seem to keep following her home. At least, that's what she claims. Jen, how are you? Good, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking, and thank you for joining me. I, I really appreciate you making the time. Well, I'm excited, and thank you for having me. I, I'm, I, this, really, this is kind of a new thing for me, so I'm really excited about it. Excellent, me too. So right off the bat, my, my big question is, um, the books that you've done so far, are I, I think fairly categorized as uh, you know, paranormal romance. I have a paranormal romance series and an urban fantasy series, so I have both. But I prefer my urban fantasy. Okay. Uh, well, with the with the uh, paranormal romance, though, my big question here is because you're my first paranormal romance author. What is it about the paranormal? that enhances the romance, and conversely, what is it about the romance that enhances the paranormal story? How do these two, for you, come together to make something that's that's better or at least more interesting for you than either one on their own? Um, you know, it's funny because I work very closely with a historical romance author and a contemporary romance author, and I tell them all the time that the reason I love paranormal is... I can make crap up. I literally, if I want somebody to be green or purple or red or fly or shoot sparks out of their fingers, I can do it because I don't have to live within a set of rules. And that's what I love about the paranormal is I don't have to follow any specific rules. And I get to make up a story that has more flavor, I guess, to me. To, to me, the paranormal adds flavor. It adds a little bit of spice to something that, you know, love is love. It's great. And romance books are, they're fun if you're really a romance reader. But to me, a lot of the stories can be the same. Man, woman, meet, fall in love, have an issue, break up, end up together in the end somehow. I mean, it's very formula and formula, formula. Very formula. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get the other one. <laughs> and, um, and I think adding paranormal into that allows you to break up that formula and to pepper in different parts of 
the unknown to make it something kind of special, a little more fun. Okay. So how were you able to do that with your uh, Redeeming Cupid novels? So I didn't want to write a typical shifter or vampire romance. Um, they're, they're really overdone. The market is really, really saturated. And I had this stupid idea for this first line. Um, it was Cupid shot, Cupid shot my size six ass with an arrow and saddled me with a soulmate from hell. And I thought, <laughs> okay. Well, where do you go from there? So I started kind of, I, I started researching some Greek mythology. I didn't really know a lot about Cupid. I didn't know a lot about Greek mythology. And I ran in all these silly, tragic Greek love stories. Like literally every love story in the Greek mythology ends with dismemberment or death or, you know, some tragic, horrible ending. So I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to write, rewrite these Greek myths, more contemporary and um, give them happily ever afters, you know, instead of everybody dying, let's let them live and, you know, maybe have a life. And so the idea kind of spiraled out of control. And um, I decided that that I really liked Greek mythology after reading all of these books. I, like I said, I really wasn't into it. And so I started writing the series. And um, it actually, the first one is not the first book I wrote, the, the vampire, my vampire series is the first book I wrote. But Nobody would buy vampires. And then I wrote this silly Cupid story and I started winning contests. And I started, I just started seeing so much happening around this little book that I had written. And I thought, well, you know, let's see how far it'll go. And I ended up, I ended up getting a contract, a publishing contract, and it got published and they wanted more. And, and then they picked up my vampire series, but um, it just was a silly little idea that just kind of spiraled out of control the more research I did. So the first one's about Apollo and Daphne, and the second one's about um, Orpheus and Eurydice, and the third one is Phoebus and Thisbe. And I always get that wrong, like the pronunciation wrong, I'm sure I got that wrong. But um, so, and I have four more planned for the series. I just, I'm taking a little break on the romance thing, so. Okay. Yeah, I, I love how it's just, you know, you, you called it that that silly little idea, but it, it sparked all of this. I think that's awesome. And and something else that I think is really kind of funny is that, uh, you know, looking on Amazon to sort of check out all, all of your books before the interview, um, I think almost all of the uh, Redeeming Cupid books are listed under like their primary category is literature and fiction. You know, yeah. something super generic like that. And then your urban fantasy titles, Amazon puts them under romance. I, I, yeah, I, vampire romance, which there's like one sex scene in them. So I don't know why they're under. <laughs> and I, you don't know how many times. So I started with a publisher and all four of those books that are on Amazon right now, we're all with the publisher. And um, we parted ways at the beginning of July and I got all my rights back. So I decided to redo some of the covers and re put them out there under my own publishing house. So um, I'm still struggling with Amazon's algorithms and their categories and their, there's a lot you got to learn. And I don't think I was fully prepared to take it all on myself. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm so impressed by, your willingness to do that, though, I, I know a number of authors and I, you know, it, it's sort of a toss up whether they're traditional publishers or self-publishers. 
And the, the authors that I know that work strictly with publishers are all very kind of like, you know, there's some sort of magic secret sauce that they just don't want to know about. You know, they write the book, they send it in, it gets edited, it just comes out later on, it shows up in, in, in Amazon or whatever. Um, but for the authors that have decided to, uh, you know, just, just take control of the whole thing themselves, uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm both impressed and a little afraid at how much I hear like goes into just figuring the whole thing out, all of the different things that you have to take care of. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very in awe of, of the independent author's ability to, to not just write, because, you know, like that's not hard enough. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> but, plate, you know, <laughs> let's every other thing you have to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, the, cause it's an entire like extra industry you have to learn. So, it, you know, it man, it is. Yeah. And I will tell you the book that's coming out next Tuesday is, um, literally my first fully self-published book, first fully written, edited, published, you know, put out there. Like the other ones were easy cause they were already written. So I could I could pretty much take what I had, do some of the subtle changes and throw them out there again. And I had reviews and everything and it was all there. But this first one, this is my first fully do it all alone. And, and it's, it's, I'm stressed. <laughs> so, <laughs> but a little stress this week. So uh, <laughs> my, my husband and children can tell you it is, I've been a crabby mom. So <laughs> I, I want to point out for our listeners that we're recording this on October 29th. Uh, but this will air next week. So by the time you're listening to it, the book that Jen is talking about will have just come out. And that book is Evil's Ultimate Huntress, right? Yes, it's book two in the Alexis Black novels. Um, book one is Evil's Unlikely Assassin. It's, that's my baby. That is, uh, it's the reason I write. I, I love the story. I love the people, the characters. I love vampires. I'm a huge vampire fan, so... I love everything about it. It's also my biggest seller when I uh, go to conferences and signings. I sell out of it every single time. People just love it. And um, I waited a while to get book two out. And I, I'm excited to finally put it out there and be done with it, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so you had mentioned uh, earlier that uh, you didn't get publishers to bite with this vampire series out of the gate that they really kind of, uh, picked you up with the, uh, the Cupid redeeming Cupid novels. Um, I suspect it's just because they're, you know, for a long time they were inundated with vampires. What is it that makes, uh, the, the Huntress, uh, or the Alexis Black novels, uh, unique? What's, what's your spin? What's your take? What, uh, what do you bring into this? My spin is that she is a vampire who actually signed a contract with an angel, uh, to go out and kill other supernatural creatures for 50 years. And when her contract is over, she gets her humanity back. So, um, this, this idea, another silly idea that sparked, um, have you ever seen the Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, the 1940s classic? I'm sure you have the Ralphie and the toys island and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah, sure. yeah, it's the Island of Misfit Toys. Well, Ralphie, the little elf does not want to be a dentist or does not want to be an elf. He wants to be a dentist. And it kind of sparked the silly, stupid vampire idea of what would a vampire, what would it, what would a vampire do? What lengths would they go to if they actually didn't want to be a vampire? 
they if they wanted to be human again was there a way for that to happen and the whole angel came in and signing a contract i figured really the only way it could happen was through divine powers and and um you know added my weird quirky voice and some and a perverted ghost and you know <laughs> some other crazy characters and people just really they really connect with it and they really seem to really enjoy the series and the characters so um it, it became fun and uh and i'm i write a very i have a very humorous voice and and none of it's really serious and i enjoy it that way it's pretty much the way i like it and that's what i would read so i kind of wrote what i wanted to read and it, it's done very well for me excellent thank you um so have you, speaking about, you know, how you write what you want to read, have you always been a fan of you know, genre fiction? Uh, I would say uh, kind of. I read Stephen, I mean, when I grew up, you read like Judy Bloom, and then you went immediately to like Stephen King because there was no YA. So <laughs> nothing in between. And so when I was younger and in high school, I read a lot of, Danielle Steele and Jackie Collins and Stephen King and, you know, way more adult authors. And then I went to college and I stopped reading because I would never have done my homework or graduated or focused on anything because once I read, I, this is all I like to do. Um, and when I got done with college, I decided I wanted to read some of the paranormal stuff. And so I started with Anne Rice and Charlene Harris and a lot of the other vampire authors. And I just became a huge, huge fan. And um, I literally will read anything that has a vampire in it and, and watch anything that has a vampire in it. Um, I just love the genre. I just think it's fun. I just think the whole, I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula, it's still a great movie when you watch it to this day. It's still a, oh, yeah. a fantastic book when you read it. It's just so well done. And um, they're just interesting creatures. You know, there's just so much you can do with them. So, so. this was a, a passion that you discovered kind of, I mean, relatively, I don't want to say late in life, but. Uh, yeah, my twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, you mentioned going back to Greek uh, mythology for the Cupid series. How much uh, overall do you find yourself pulling from like legitimate history and folklore versus just creating something entirely uh, your own? Um, I base the stories off of the actual myth. So, like the Apollo and Daphne myth, where He's shot with an arrow of lust and she's shot with an arrow of virgin. It's there. And there's little hints throughout like um, Apollony, Apollo, or Daphne was, was a water nymph. And so in my book, there's little things that the character does. She's always playing with water, spinning water or, or doing something to just give those little tiny hints of, you know, that water nymph part of her, even though it's not part of her, but it's in the myth, so I wanted to play toward it. Um, so the whole myth is there, and if you really read it and you know the myth, you see it. You see it from beginning to end. But if you don't know the myth, I don't think it would smack you over the head of, oh yes, this is a you know this is this story from Greek mythology. If you don't know it, you wouldn't know it. Uh, but I did a lot of research. I did a ton of digging to connect Cupid to. Um, you know, certain parts of the book and certain characters and what Cupid did in his past, because Cupid wasn't always such a good boy in Greek mythology. He was actually pretty naughty. And um, there's silly little things like 
the main character in Struck by Arrows is supposed to be Apollo. And there's a scene where she can, he's in a bathing suit. And you know that line that men have, like that, that muscle line they have right on their hip bones? Well, it's actually called an Apollo's belt, which I thought was kind of funny since he's supposed to be Apollo, but it comes from the Greek myth of Apollo. So there's weird little things in there that I, that I found through digging deep in Greek mythology um, that it's all in there. But um, the story is very contemporary. It's very now. It's all set in San Diego. I mean, they're not set in Greece or anything. They're all set in San Diego. And um, I just tried to make the characters as true to the characters in the Greek mythology as I could. Uh, you know, but I'm not a scholar. I'm sure somebody could read it and be like, dude, you got this totally wrong. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and it might be, but it was fun to write. And the whole idea of the series is that Cupid has lost Psyche. She's told him basically, I don't want to deal with you. You've screwed up too many love matches until you fix them all. I'm gone. I'm, I'm out of here. So every prologue of, or every, I'm sorry, every epilogue of the book is, Cupid and Psyche together, like her, her basically saying, okay, well, you fix up one mess, time to work on another one. And so it leads the series through that. And of course, um, of course, Psyche, Cupid and Psyche will, 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 uh, will be that final book in the series. So, um, but it's a fun series to write. It doesn't take me near as long to write those as the vampire ones. I think because it is more romance, so it's more formula. And it's easy to fill in the, the you know, what's going to happen. Um, the vampire ones, I've had to build a world. I've had to build, you know, a whole set of rules and characters that have to follow those rules. And, and with the contemporary, more romance I don't have to do that. It's, it's the world is already built. It's today. It's now. Sure. And it sounds like you've got, I mean, the, the potential for, I mean, like you said, you, you know what the final book in the series is going to be, but... It sounds like, I mean, Eros has been around, you know, yeah. for a long time. Cupid's been around for a long time. So, you know, you could, you could, I, I, I can't imagine, like, the, the potential for stories in this series would end until you feel yeah. like, okay, I'm done. Like, as long as you wanted to keep writing them, writing them, you know, it, it seems like there are just any number of stories that, that could come out of this. There are, there really are. It, it's a fun series. I do love it. And I, I sell, I, it's, I, there's, um, I live in Arizona and in Tucson, there's this big Tucson festival of books and it's gigantic. And, uh, I sell more of the romance there than I do the vampire, but it's a different demographic. And then when I go to sell at Comic-Con, I sell way, I sell way more of the, um, of the vampire book it's just demographics really where people you know where you're selling at and who wants to buy what but the cuba series has been fairly popular and people who read it love it but you know i'm not a i'm not a nora roberts i'm not a hugely well-known author so you know selling is hard it's still difficult it's still you're down in the trenches with the you know with the other people who are still trying to drag themselves up and so i'd love to see more traction on it that's for sure so this is interesting. You talked about your your love of all thing, things vampires, but you live in Arizona. And when I think about Arizona, all I think about is yeah, bright sunlight. How does, you know, how, is, is the loving, van, you know, which came first, vampires or Arizona? 
Uh, vampires. <laughs> yeah, vampires. <laughs> and you know what? Stephanie Meyer, who wrote Twilight, is also lives in Arizona. So, <laughs> but her vampires could kind of go out in the sun, I guess, couldn't they? They they sparkled in the sun. So they, they sparkled. Well, yeah, but it was in the Pacific Northwest, so it wasn't really sun. Yeah, it was. But she lives. In- <laughs> well, oh, well, I will say this: my story is set in Chicago. It's not set in Arizona. So, <laughs> but that's where I was born and raised. So I was real comfortable with doing the. I was very comfortable with doing the story in Chicago. Plus I just love that urban setting. So sure. Yeah. yeah. So they have a little less sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you, you discovered vampires in your twenties prior to that though, any, any interest in sort of supernatural paranormal topics at all, or was this something you really did discover in early adulthood? Oh, no, no. I loved Stephen King, um, Douglas Clegg. Uh, uh, oh, why can't I think? Um, Dean Coombs. I loved them as a kid. Uh, I mean, they didn't. Stephen King does have his fair share of vampire books, but um, I love all of that horror. I, I used to be a huge horror movie nut when I was younger. Wasn't allowed to watch it at home, so I would sneak off to a friend's house and watch it. So I did love all of that stuff as a kid. Um, and and I did read it. I just, it, it didn't really become an upset. I mean, seriously, I look at my bookcase sitting next to me and it's just, just one vampire book after another. And it didn't really become an obsession until after college, but I always have loved the paranormal and I've always loved the ghost stories and kind of the freakier, the better for me. Um, and I stopped watching scary movies after I had kids for a while because I had to get up in the middle of the night and take care of them and they would freak me out. So, but like my husband and I just picked up, we watched the hunting, the hunting of Hill House a couple of weeks ago, and that was amazing. And I, so I haven't seen it yet. So really good, really good, really freaky, but really good. And we just finished the new Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is another one that's really freaky. But yeah, I love that paranormal. I love it. I just everything about it. I just um, I love what you could do with it, and I, I think that's what it is. is you could, there's just so much versatility in it that you can, it's, it's just not every story is the same. So where do you land on the, you know, ghosts, vampires, other, any other paranormal stuff, uh, spectrum, real or totally fictional? Um, I think ghosts are, I think ghosts are real. I think there is something out there. I don't, I don't necessarily know if they're ghosts or spirits or whatever, but I do believe I mean, I want to believe that when you move on, that you don't just completely poof away out of existence, that you can uh, you can still be around. I, I choose to not open myself up to that because, honestly, I don't really want to meet one. So <laughs> I stay in their area and I stay in mine and we're happy. But um, vampires, yeah, I, I wish that it would be really cool because in my 20s, I totally would have been turned into a vampire and stayed, you know, cute and skinny and, you know, all that my whole life. So, but... Um, I wish they were true. They're not. So, you know, werewolves, I highly doubt there's people that can turn into wolves. That'd be kind of cool if they could, but, um, I love the myths. I love the idea behind it. And maybe one day, I mean, if you watch shows like the movie, I am legend, which was actually a book first, but if you watch, I am legend, I mean, the vampire race was created by uh cancer treatment gone wrong, you know? So who knows? They still may come around one day. But would you want to be one of those vampires? 
No, not the I Am Legend. One. No, there's some, there's some. No, I'm I'm talking like I, I'd want to be one of the not the Twilight vampires. I'm trying to think what the the Vampire Diary vampires would be. Yeah. Pretty cool. I'm okay with that. You know, the originals, Vampire Diaries. Yeah, those vampires that are still you know hot and <laughs> and not bloodthirsty, ugly monsters. Yeah, I'm good with those. But no, I would not want to be the I Am Legend or um, I'm trying to think of some of that. even the like. The original Bram Stoker vampire ones. I mean, they were pretty. They were pretty bad too, and and yeah. a lot. Yeah, they were not attractive. So, so was it was it Anne Rice who really really started the whole sexy vampire phenomenon? Yeah, I would say it was. Yeah, yeah. with Vampire Lestat. Yep, I think he was the first. He's <laughs> she made vampires sexy. Yeah, she did she totally made vampires and New Orleans sexy? I mean, well, she yeah. really took them both. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've talked about uh you know reading these books as a kid sneaking off to watch movies uh at friends house uh, which leads me to ask my uh favorite question were you a weird kid um not weird very introverted very quiet i love my books mm-hmm. um i was you know not weird no i wouldn't say i was weird i was just me it was um i guess i had a really different childhood it was just really kind of quiet and and uh <laughs> sorry my husband and dogs and everybody <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was uh it was a quiet childhood i lived with my i lived with my mom and my grandparents in chicago and had my friends and did my stuff and and that was you know that was it but i read i i lost myself in a world of books and i that was the world i liked to live in okay so looking around at your bookshelf now now i'm weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah now i'm totally weird i'm total i mean i've I've got deadpool sweatpants on and i've got you know yeah i'm not totally weird so that's not weird that's fashion it is fashion. <laughs> yeah, I've got a Deadpool riding a unicorn on my desk. I've got all kinds of weird stuff over here now. And I've got a tentacle kitty on my desk. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's all just that's part of the research. It is. It's all part yeah. of my it's all part of my vampire stuff. <laughs> so this is something we, we talked about uh off mic, but uh this is the uh, perfect segue for it. Uh, you mentioned your, your Deadpool sweats. Are you, are you a huge superhero fan? Are you, you know, what other, what other genres are you passionate about? I am. I love Marvel. I pretty much love anything Marvel's put out recently. Um, Deadpool is the first Deadpool is probably my favorite out of all of them. Followed shortly by the guardians of the galaxy movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, the last Thor. I mean, they're just Marvel really can put out a fantastic movie. Um, they can, they can leave you with some heartbreaking endings, but they can put out a fantastic movie. And even their Netflix shows, their Daredevils and Jessica Jones and the Punishers, they're just really well done. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let, let's test just how much of a Marvel geek you are right now. Uh, <laughs> we have recently learned that both Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist have been canceled. No. Is it is it because of poor ratings or? Are they going to give us Heroes for Hire? I think they're going to give us Heroes for Hire. They really do. Oh, I hope so. I, I, I really, that, it would be really cool if they did. Um, I, I'd love to see it. 
I also wonder, you know, DC is doing this new thing with their paid, uh, kind of their competing against Netflix with their own paid kind of subscription service. And I'm almost wondering if Marvel is kind of sneaking that way too. They're going to, they think they can. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Disney's, uh, they're going to do a big streaming thing and Disney kind of owns Marvel. I mean, they're, they're letting it do its own thing, but uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, they, they could be getting ready to pull it all in home. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think it'd be sad because there's, you know, people, Netflix does a really good job. They really do. I've not been disappointed really by many things that Netflix has put out there. Um, we, uh, we were huge Lucifer fans and when they canceled the show and Netflix picked it up, I was really excited because I'm, I'm really excited to see what they end up doing with that show and what Netflix adds to it and, and really beefs it up with. Um, so I would, I, I, we're watching the new Daredevil and, you know, I, I don't know if maybe they didn't pull that one yet because it was, they already had the season planned or what, but. Oh, it's ratings are just ridiculous. It is, yeah. And I haven't heard anything about Punisher going away. And Punisher was really well done, too. So I yeah. haven't heard that one disappear yet. So we'll see. But I wonder if they are going to try to compete with DC against that, you know, that kind of live streaming thing. Yeah. I, well, if they do, it's just one more I'm going to have to subscribe to. <laughs> I know. I'm actually really interested in the Teen Titan TV show that, that DC is starting. Um, the the movie was horrible, but the <laughs> the little cartoon movie they just did was horrible. But the TV show looks pretty good. You know, I, it's I, I there, DC for me has had a real kind of hit and miss history. Mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, like the the shows on the CW. My my thirteen year old and I watch them constantly. We love them; they're fantastic. And in my opinion, they're so much better than any of the DC movies that have come out. Uh, just because the movies really have tried to be something that, and and maybe this is just my age uh, showing, because I, I remember DC, you know, Marvel was the serious, hard-hitting, we're grappling with social issues, and DC was bright and colorful, and, you know. Fun and, yeah, you had the Joker yeah. and Batman and Crazy Penguin. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, the movies have tried to get, they've just tried to be dark, you know, and that, that doesn't seem... The, the the reviews for the movies are, are you know, almost always poor. Um, you know, it's like people just don't, they don't want that from DC. They, they, but the reviews for the CW shows are fantastic. Like, like th those guys are nailing the whole DC feel. And I saw the trailer for the Titans and, well, you know, it's just as dark and, and gritty as, as the movies, if not more so. Right. And so, boy, I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm torn. I'd like yeah. to watch it, but I'm afraid to watch it. Well, that's the thing, you know, the funny thing is, is we haven't watched any of the DC TV shows. Um, and, and we keep saying we're going to get into uh, the flat is the flash green arrow. Is that the one that everybody loves or the flash is one that everyone just thinks is fantastic. Um, but like well, suicide squad, I loved Suicide Squad. I thought it was fun. I thought it was, you know, Harley was amazing. I did love the movie Suicide Squad. Um, but then Batman versus Superman. I mean, it was, was ridiculous. 
<laughs> and my husband kept saying, there's no way Batman could beat Superman. There's just no way, you know, Superman is a otherworldly being and Batman is a guy who has fancy weapons. You know, there's just no way he could do it. And so you have to really suspend reality on some of that stuff. Um, Superman so- lacks discipline. Yeah. <laughs> and they break their own rules, which is, you know, nobody can kill Superman, but they do. So, you know, that's the, that's the one thing about world building is you really, if you put your world, if you put your rules down, you really can't break them. You have to follow your own set of rules. And and I think DC does tend to break those rules sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, God, they've, I think they've killed Superman in the comics a couple times. Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it never takes. No, it never uh, takes. <laughs> <laughs> popping uh, back up like a weed, you know. <laughs> um, so, okay, back to your books. <laughs> as much as I would love to keep talking about superheroes and TV shows and movies, and trust me, I would. Um, <laughs> uh, something else that that is near and dear to my heart: audiobooks. And I can't help but notice that none of your titles are in audio yet. Is that intentional or do do you have plans on moving into audio? No, I do have plans on moving into audio. Um, I, when I separated from my publisher, I took on republishing everything on my own and it was a lot more than I had thought it would be. And so the plan for audio is there. I need to find... I need to find a good voice and I need to find a way to do it. That's not going to cost me, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. uh, once I figure out how to do it, actually, once I get this book out, I'm going to start looking into audio a little bit more because I really, really do want to do it. I know the market is absolutely expanding on it. And I think it is the next, I think it's the next ebook, you know, like ebooks were so popular. And I think that audio is even going to become even more within the next probably year, I would say a year. So it's, it's definitely there. It's definitely, I want to do it. I have people ask me all the time if I have audio and I'm. Well, that's a good sign. It is. It is a good sign. So, <laughs> that means you, you have an audience there and you, I can assure you there is definitely an audience for the genre. Um, and the good news is because your sales are so strong for both series, uh, that bodes well for, you know, any any outlay, initial outlay of cash, uh, whatever it is, making that back, which yeah. I, I think in any endeavor like this where you're, you know, kind of making it your livelihood, that's the goal. It is. Oh, <laughs> as goal. much as we love to create stuff. That's my husband's goal. <laughs> yeah. You can spend it, but you think you can make it back? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it It's hard to say you do this for a living when... You know, you're it's, not living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a, gosh, I, I, I know a handful of female narrators right now that I, that I think would already be perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need, we need to get these books in audio. I do. I agree. I need to get them in audio and uh, I'm, I'm really, I would love to hear them. You know, it's, it's one thing to read them, but I would love to hear them. Like when you were reading my bio before, it was like, Oh yeah, I wrote that. You know, it was sounded just everybody else read it out loud because I read it all the time, but it just sounded so different hearing it, you know, spoken instead of read. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how the books would sound. Well, you have uh, a number of options 
when it comes to to audiobooks. I'm going to put my, my my sales pitch hat on right now. Um, depending on how much control you want, uh, there are some traditional publishers that will purchase audio rights for from self-published authors and produce your audiobook for you, uh, in, in which case, just like with traditional publishing, you're out no cash. You don't have to handle anything. And uh, a lot of times you can even negotiate uh, narrator approval. So they'll send you two or three different auditions and you can say, I want that one, you know, and they'll oh, you get the, the advance. And yeah, there, I mean, um, yeah, there, Tantor does that. Um, I, I know some independent authors go through uh, Blackstone uh, audio. Um, but on the, you know, on the flip side is, you lose a lot of the control that you just gained back. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess it's, it's a, it depends on whether or not you enjoy having that control now, you know, being able to pick your own cover, being able to plan your release, being able to, you know, handle your own marketing. Or if now that you've had a taste for it, you're like, no, I, I'd rather have somebody else do that. <laughs> I think with the audio, and it's, it does sound very, very appealing, um, as long as they were only taking the audio portion, I might actually be okay with it. You know, if I still had control of my books, you know, my actual physical books, then I wouldn't mind sharing audio rights with somebody or um, doing that if I could get them done in a way that was less expensive for me and um, get them out there. You know, I wouldn't mind giving up part of it. I know there's quite a few indie authors that actually um, give up their print rights for their books to traditional publishers because they can be farther reaching. You know, they can mm -hmm. get places that we that, that indies can't, unfortunately. And so they give up those print rights and they keep all of their ebook rights on it. So I know there's a lot of authors who are doing that now, who are giving up a portion of their control and keeping some of it, which is very appealing. It, it really is to, um, to after learning how much goes into doing the back end of the book and putting it together and, <laughs> and all the work and the marketing into it, it, it would be nice to have somebody maybe take over the audio portion of it. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to, to maintain that control, um, there are also a number of different venues. Um, ACX is hugely popular. Uh, it's, it's basically, um, oh God, I don't know how to say this. It's like Tinder for authors and narrators. Like, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you put up, you put up your book and an audition and, uh, narrators will audition and you will get inundated with them. And you basically say, not you, not you, not you, not you. Oh, you. And you're off and running and you have a number of uh, options. There's, uh, you know, a, just a straight up, I will pay you, you will do this and we're done um, to varying degrees of partnership where you might split uh, royalties that come in. And so that both you and the narrator are, are kind of, I mean, you're both taking a risk on whether or not it's going to make money, but you also both have skin in the game uh, as far as going out and promoting the book. And, you know, so the, and there's no initial outlay of cash on your end, but you are signing away like 50% of your royalties for seven years. So that's a really appealing idea too to really be able to audition who you want. I, 
and I don't know, I mean, I've never really delved into it. So in your opinion, what makes a good book narrator? Like what should you look for when, when you go to do something like that? Oh my God. You know, this is weird, but having only been on the narrator side of things, I have literally never asked myself that question other than what does it take to make me the best narrator for, you know, a, a particular project. And for that, I mean, so I, I, I hope there's some crossover here and this is useful. Um, looking for somebody that, uh, that can tell a story that, that can captivate you. Somebody that, that doesn't sound like they're reading. You know, I, I, I teach uh, character acting for audiobook narrators. And one of the things I really try to hammer home to them is you don't necessarily have to worry so much about the words. The words have already been taken care of for you, right? The author has done all of that work. And that part, as long as your eyes work and your mouth works and you're literate, <laughs> that, part's, that part's done. Like, you know, any, anybody else that's literate can do that part. Um, that's not why you, anybody would ever hire you. Right. If you if you want to make a career out of this, if you want to be hired, you can't just read the book. You can't just sound like you're reading the book. You have to convey what the story's about. You have to convey things about the characters that the author is implying through subtext, um, you know, in, in a way that pulls the listener in. You know, it 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 needs to be this really immersive experience. Otherwise, why would you do it? You know, you, if, if you just wanted to hear the words, you could have your Kindle read it to you. Yeah, you, know? you can you can just hit yeah. read me and it does or, or your computer or whatever. Um, I guess you look for inflection and tone and, and, yeah. and, and anything. So basically it's acting without being on a camera. It is, being, it is know? very much acting without being on camera. And I think there's, so any character in an audio book, is a creation of two people. It's the creation of the author, right? Bits of you are in every single character you write. Right. You know, you've drawn from your experiences, your imagination, uh, you know, all of this stuff. And it, it, it's all little bits of you in every character. And then for an actor, they take that as kind of the scaffolding upon which to put bits of themselves. And when there's a match, you know, when the the way you write somebody's dialogue the way you hear it in your head and then you hear that back from a narrator and you're like oh my god they get it like that's exactly how <laughs> right that's that's, that's how I said. yeah 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 uh you know i i can think of a number uh of, of books that were you know i mean james marsters and uh jim butcher's dresden file series yeah, oh, I think yeah. that's a that's a perfect match there. Uh, you know, they they just yeah. Well, James Marsters and anything is you know pretty awesome. So oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. So um, yeah, no, I I, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy this. I I really think. I mean, every every author that I've talked to that has gone through this process. Oh, and I, I also wanted to mention uh, along with ACX there is because there are plenty of options. There's Spoken Realms and Author's Republic. And each one of those does some variation on the ACX uh, process. Spoken Realms uh, really focuses more on uh, 
giving authors broader choice. Um, they're, they're more willing to, I think, uh, work directly with authors, making sure that, I mean, it, but look them all up. Um, I don't want to turn this into a, a commercial for them. Anyway, so, uh, oh, what was I saying before I got, or sidetracked myself? <laughs> oh, um, but, 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 any, oh, no, no. Okay. Now I remember, um, authors that have gone through this process of creating audiobooks uh, that I've talked to, they've all loved it. They have all uh, just been thrilled at, uh, you know, o- overall, I mean, there, there are some, I think, bad experiences that can happen in any industry. You, know, you pick the wrong person. Um, but the vast majority of authors have absolutely loved re-experiencing their creations in this new way. And, uh, you know, the biggest problem I think I, I, I hear them say is that they get too many, too many auditions, right? Too many, too many people to choose from that want to bring their story to life. And uh, I don't know that that's a bad problem to have. Either I think that would be kind of fun just to make them all read a page, you know, hey, read a page, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I think about it, I think about like, actors there's certain characters that are portrayed in the movies that you could never imagine another actor ever playing that part because it's they're just they become it you know tony stark and and robert downey jr i mean he basically took that role and made it him and they're one in the same and there's a few audiobook series that i that i have listened to that you could never imagine another narrator narrating those characters because they become those characters so fully and they're so perfect for it. And that's what I would need. That's what I would need behind me is somebody who I felt understood the stories, understood my voice, my characters, and and could give me what I was looking for. Well, I think that's the I mean, that's that's kind of the narrator dream too, right? We we want to find that story in which we fit. You know, it's. Uh, Everybody wins when it's a great story and a great narrator, and they both just kind of match. You know, then everybody brings home the money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Evil's Ultimate Huntress comes out um, well next Perfect. week for us, but it'll be it'll just have come out November fifth. Will have just come out. Yes, I'm I'm slightly nervous, slightly terrified. Actually, this is more the. I, uh, first one, not having a publisher back me and it's, it's not that I don't think the book is good. I think the book is fantastic. The writing is the same as the first one. It's just, um, making sure that I've set it all up to come out properly. And there's no, you know, little tiny, um, bumps in the road. <laughs> like <laughs> last week, I had to change the release date. It was originally going to be October 22nd. And due to some unforeseen, unforeseen things, I bumped it back to the fifth. And um, last week, my husband tagged me in a Facebook post that said, Hey, look what I got today. And it was an email from Amazon saying evil's un- unlikely a hun- or evil's ultimate huntress comes out October 22nd. And I had a complete panic attack. Oh, <laughs> I go, no. I'm like, no, 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 no. And turned out it was just something that was stuck in their system from the original release date and that everything was fine on my end. But I'm I'm still, you know, as the first time doing this, that's that's not the email you want. You know, it's right. just, <laughs> it is not the email you need. So it's been slightly terrifying. And, and um, but I'm 100% confident in the story and the writing that, that I'm absolutely happy with. It's just the, 
it's all the stuff my publisher would have handled that I am yeah. now doing on my own. So, so what's I'll next? Are, are, yeah. are you are you taking a break after this and and just kind of catching your breath, or do you have plans for the next book? What's uh, what's coming up next for you? Going right into the third book of this series. Um, it is my biggest seller at Comic Con, and I've had I didn't have the second book out last year when I should have, and so I had quite a few people come to the table and say, "Oh my gosh, I'm waiting for the second book." So this year, I would like to give them two and three. Mm-hmm. So uh, NaNoWriMo comes up November 1st, and I'm going to spend the month working on the third book. So, yeah, I'll basically hit upload on this one and, and go right into the third one, um, which I think will be good because I took time off between the first and the second to write some of the Cupid series. And it was really hard to get back into the voice of the characters and to remember the story. So that really long period of time did not help me with this story. I think the story would have been done a lot quicker had I just moved right into it. So I don't want to make that same mistake with the third one. And, and when can we expect to see these coming out in audio? Um, <laughs> soon, hopefully, hopefully very, very soon. I will, I will once, you know, as I'm writing this third one, I'm not going to be, I've been the last three weeks. I have been a crazy person around here. It has been literally eat, drink, sleep, right and you know and edit and uh keeping up with my copy editor and everything and so it has been all crazy but when I'm normally just writing and I'm not doing it because I set myself a pre-order and I didn't think I was going to make it which is what happened this time and we'll never do that again um I have time to actually focus on marketing and other things so I will probably start researching the audiobook during November start working through and see if I can't figure out how to do it in a way that I can afford or find somebody that I absolutely love working with. Excellent. Well, you know what? I will happily uh, put myself out there right now publicly uh, by saying I'm, I'm happy to help in, in any way I can. Any questions you have, uh, you have my contact information. I'm happy to answer anything. Uh, if you'd like me to, to make introductions to people that I can, let me know. I'd be happy to do that. I will. I, thank you. I appreciate it because I do... Um, I do absolutely want to do it. And I think having somebody who's already done it kind of answer those silly questions of, I don't know how to do it, you know, would be great. <laughs> um, like I was going to ask you if you could email me the names of the, of the, the audiobook industry stuff that you had mentioned, if you could email me that list. So I could start doing some research because oh, absolutely, I, I really do want to do it. I, I think, you know, it's, <laughs> It's very special when you first see your book go up on Amazon and then you very, you hold your very first print copy and there's that, that special feeling of that. And I think hearing it would even be just as cool, you know, just, just hearing it would be just as neat. So, um, and then there's always that hope that one day a producer and someone will want to make a movie out of it. So, you know, <laughs> there's always that feeling of euphoria. And I think the audiobook is definitely that next, oh my gosh, this is my book being spoken and 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 you know acted and it'd be really cool so awesome well jen thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to talk to me i i've really enjoyed this conversation i'm i'm thrilled that you're a superhero geek like me because uh (laughs) that was fun yeah i don't know if there's many geeky girl superhero geeks but yes i definitely am one (laughs) you you might be just one of a small number of a very elite few yeah 
Um, I have an background too because of my kids. My kids are anime geeks. So, ah, uh, can I ask how old they are? Thirteen and eleven. Uh, I have a thirteen and a, and a three year old. Um, oh my goodness, that's a large uh, age. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> three was so much easier uh, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirteen is not my favorite age. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> my my thirteen year old is forty five for yeah. some reason. <laughs> I wish mine was. <laughs> it's just bad attitude. I don't know. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's a whole lot of eye rolling in my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my thirteen year old has uh, the the eye rolls. There are times where I swear I can hear them from yeah. across the room. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I think I might rather change diapers again than, than go through the teenage years. Oh no, I... no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no, it's just been so long that you've forgotten, but trust me, no. how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. Thank you. I, I've really enjoyed this. I hope you have too. I have. Thank you. I really have enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, once you, uh, once you get your first audio book out, I, I hope you'll come back and talk to me again about uh, what that whole process was like for you. I will. I definitely will. And uh, I know that we're in the same, couple of the same Facebook groups, so... I will look around for things that you've done too. I, I need to look up some of your audio books that you've narrated so I can hear them. Well, thank you. I, I hope you enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon patrons. There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogen Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash James Narrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back. Mm-hmm. <laughs>